passage. I'll say a quick prayer and then we'll get into God's Word. And we're going to be continuing in the book of Luke that you guys have been going through. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8. And we're going to be reading from verses 4 all the way down to verse 21. And so I'll read and pray and we'll get into God's Word together. So this is what God's Word says. Starting at verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and it, as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And some fell on good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away from the word, the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have, not, have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of the life of life and their fruit does not mature as for in the good soil they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an in honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light for nothing is hidden that will be ma- not made manifest nor is anything secret that will not be made known or comes to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, and they, and they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that no matter where we come from, no matter what's going on, when we open up your word, your, your perfect, holy word, the Bible, you always have something to say to us. And whatever you have to say is relevant because you are always relevant, Father. So I just join in agreement with Pastor Jeremy and Redeemer and, and ask that as um, we open your word, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, that you would um, encourage us where we need to be encouraged, but, but most importantly, Father, may we fall more in love with your Son, Jesus. Um, anything that's not about you this morning, I, I pray no one may, may remember that, uh, but everything that exalts you and highlights your Son and the Spirit, may that be what people take away. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, you know, recently, uh, my wife and I were just reflecting on our marriage and the past couple of years, uh, we're about to plan a church and things are going to get very crazy. So we just want to take some time to reflect and just kind of see what God had been doing in our relationship and in our, in our friendship. As we were doing that, one thing that really stuck out to me was 
how vital uh, premarital counseling was for our marriage. Uh, because if you didn't know this, premarital counseling has this ability to highlight um, what's necessary for a healthy marriage and also what you need to work on as a couple. And so specifically, I was remembering um, the listening exercise that we did with our pastors in Philly. And so let me, let me give you some context here. So um, we went to our pastor's house and we did this exercise. And so our pastor started off by asking Megan. He said, hey, uh, how has wedding planning been going? And so she begins to share, and when she's sharing, she voices that she was frustrated with me because I hadn't turned in my passport information so that we could go on our honeymoon. This was pre-COVID, so we had high hopes and dreams with that. So, um, so I didn't turn in my passport information. And so after she said that, my pastor turned to me and said, all right, restate what Megan just said. And, and just thinking I was going to kill it, I was like, oh yeah, Megan, she's so frustrated because of the economy and of our wedding venue, and just the, the political unrest going on. But no worries, I got this, I got this. And I, th- I thought I killed it. And surprisingly to find out, I failed the ex- exercise, uh, because I did not listen to my wife, um, surprisingly. So <laughs> the, the, the crazy thing there, though, is what I realize is, not just for marriages, but for all types of relationships, health comes from listening. Health comes from listening. And as we look at our passage this morning, what we're going to see is that the author Luke is going to show us the importance of listening, but as it pertains to our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk about that, but before we dive in, let's just get to know our passage just a little bit better. And so when we look at our passage this morning, and when we think about the account of Jesus' life in the book of Luke, what we see up until this point is that Jesus has been on the move. Uh, his ministry's been going crazy. He's been doing all these supernatural healings and miracles. And even more, he's been engaging with the religious elites of the day. Right? But, but then when we come to our passage today, what we see is that this huge crowd has gathered around Jesus. And what he does is that he just takes time to stop and then share with them uh, these three parables um, so, so he could teach them something. And you see, a parable, a parable is just simply like a teaching story that Jesus would use, this like metaphorical story that Jesus would use in order to highlight and emphasize a particular truth to his listeners or to his followers. And when we look down in verse 21, we see that the main truth that Jesus wanted to highlight to the crowd that day was he wanted to highlight the necessity of listening to the Word of God. So he's wanting them to hear about listening to the Word of God. Uh, But now the question there is... um, what is he referring to when he says the Word of God? Well, when Jesus is talking about the Word of God, what he's referring to is the Scripture's message about Jesus being the Savior, the promised Savior King who has come to free us from our slavery to sin, our our rebellion against God, and then to bring us into the kingdom and family of God. And and what, what Luke wants us to see in the passage, though, is that there's a very real danger of having close proximity to Jesus, but not listening to what he has to say. I mean, even for us today, I mean, you can grow up in church, you can go to church all your life, you can go to a gospel community, you can go feed the poor, you can do all these good things, all these things that Jesus um, does and has wanted us to do, and yet you can still miss what he has to say, what his message is. And so, what our big idea for this morning of the sermon or what the main challenge of our text is, 
It's going to be very simple. It's going to be this. Listen to God's Word. Listen to God's Word. And here's the thing. When we look in our, our, our Bibles and we, and we read our passage, we see that when they talk about listening, it's not just this auditory thing. What it actually is, is, is a, a biblical idea of listening involves action. It, it leads to action. So what we're going to look at in our text is we're going to see that we listen to God's Word by doing these three things. We listen by receiving it, sharing it, and doing it. So, receiving it, sharing it, and doing it. So, let's start with that first one. We listen to God's Word by receiving it. And we really see that in that very first parable of of the sower. So, let's read from verses 5 all the way back down to verse 15. So, let me start back at verse 5 real quick for you. Starting at verse 5, it says, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along, uh, among, along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear... Let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who hear, um, those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But, when, but these have no root, and they believe it for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and their fruit does not mature. As for the good soil, they are those who, who, hearing the word, hold, fat, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So when we look at this opening section of our passage, we see that Jesus begins with telling um, his, this large crowd a, a parable or this, this teaching story about a farmer planting seed in, in multiple types of soil. And when his disciples tell him, hey, I, I don't know what that means. It's kind of gone over my head a little Jesus is very kind enough to, to explain what the parable meant. And so he says that the, word, that the seed represents the Word of God, or that message of Jesus being the promised Savior who comes to liberate us from sin and bring us into the kingdom and family of God. And then he goes on to say that the, that the soil represents people's reaction or response to the Word of God. Now, I, we could spend so many weeks just talking about these couple verses. There's so much to talk about here. But, but for, for this morning, what I want to do is just highlight two general facts from this story that can help us get a better sense of what Jesus is trying to teach about. So let's start with this first one. The first fact I want to highlight to you guys is, um, do you notice that no matter what's going on in the story, there's never a point where nothing's happening, Right? There's never a point where the seed is not interacting with the soil. We always see action as a result of the seed 
interacting with the soil. And what that teaches us is that the Word of God, this message about Jesus, is not just this abstract intellectual idea that can be just shrugged off. The message about Jesus is this supernatural message that speaks to our very hearts and it demands a response. It demands a reaction from us. Uh, You can think of it this way. No one's neutral when it comes to Jesus. We all have a response to him in some way or form. That's how the message of Jesus works. So there's the first thing. The message of Jesus, God's word, always has some type of response with it. But then the last thing I want to point out to you is, do you, do you notice that when Jesus shows, talks about this story, the emphasis he places is not upon the, the, the type of soil, but it's upon the reaction. You know, he doesn't sit there talking about, like, oh, look at this particular type of soil, let's talk about it more. He just says, hey, look what happened. See, what Jesus is getting at there, and what he's showing us is that God's word is for all types of people. It's for rich, poor, men, women, people from all different types of ethnicities, tribes, language, tongues. See, what matters is our response to the Word. That's what God, Jesus is putting the emphasis on, is our reception to God's Word. You know, basically, what Jesus is teaching here is that he's teaching what an authentic reaction or authentic reception to the Word of God looks like. What authentic reception to the Word of God looks like. But before we can actually talk about what authentic reception to God's Word looks like or what even is an authentic reaction or reception to uh, the Word of God, I think we need to talk about what it's not. So when we look back at that parable or that story, we see Jesus give us three negative examples of receiving God's Word. So let's just briefly kind of walk through those together real quick. So from the parable, we see that you can have an uninterested reception or reaction to the Word of God. You know, Jesus mentions in the story this hard soil that, that represents a hard heart that's uninterested in, in Jesus and ultimately is preyed upon by Satan. And maybe to get a better picture of that, let me give you an example. So, an example I saw here recently. So, uh, my wife Megan and I, we took a trip to a very large city here a couple weeks ago. And what we noticed, it was, it was actually really difficult to talk about Jesus with, with friends or people we met because they were so interested in their careers. Um, they had accomplished so much. They were living in this huge city. Um, they had so much to look forward to. And so Jesus really wasn't that much of a pressing issue for them. You know, basically, they had um, prioritized and occupied their lives with so many other things that they were just not interested in Jesus. And truthfully, the enemy, Satan, loves when we are so interested in everything else, so prioritized with everything else, so occupied with everything else, that Jesus just doesn't seem like a big pressing for us. We're just not interested in it. So you can have an uninterested reception of the Word of God. Well, moving on, you, you can also have a shallow reception to the Word of God. See, Jesus also mentions this rocky soil that represents a heart that has a, an initial... Um, positive emotional reaction to God's Word, but nothing less, nothing more, right? So, and I think one of the best examples we see of that is actually the crowd that's listening to Jesus' teaching right now. 
See, the crowds initially loved what Jesus had to say, his message. They loved the miracles, the feeding of the fish. They, I mean, they loved all of that. But when hard times came, when persecution came, they all left. And in fact, a lot of them were part of the crowd that wanted to kill Jesus after that. You see, their, their reaction was initially emotional, but that was it. It had no root to it. No, it had no, had no like, deep roots to it. So you can have an uninterested reception, you can have a shallow reception of God's Word, but also, lastly, you can have a divided reception to God's Word. You know, in the last part of the parable, Jesus mentions thorny soil that represents a heart that, that likes Jesus, that's cool with Jesus, but, but doesn't want to love Him above everything else. Um, they like Jesus on the side, but, but not as the main thing in their life. You know, recently I, I was... I had lunch with a friend of mine who, who had left Christianity but was interested in coming back. And as we were talking and, and, and as we ended the conversation, he was very frank with me. He said, here's the problem. I know what you're saying is true. I know it's, I know it's right. I know it's real. But my issue is I, I just don't want to love Jesus. I just don't want to make him the main thing. I, I, I have so many other things I, I love. I just don't want to love him. Those are the types of negative responses or reactions that we can have to the Word of God. And now as we, as we were reading this, probably the, the thought that popped into many of our minds is, man, I'm so happy that that's not me. Oh yeah, I know a couple people like that. I, I mean, they need to hear this sermon. You know, like, you know, but I, I'm happy that's not me. But, but the fact that that thought has popped into our minds automatically already proves that every single one of us is guilty of inauthentic reception to God's Word. See, the Bible teaches us that every one of us are guilty of rejecting God, of, of, of sin. And so when we read something like this, when we read this parable, our first reaction should actually be, that's me. I struggle with that. Even as Christians, we still struggle with this every single day. But, 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 but look how Jesus describes an authentic reception to God's Word. Look at what he says. He says he connects it to the good soil that bears fruit, and he says that represents a person who, who receives the word of God and they bear the fruit of transformation. And in the Bible, we see that what that simply looks like in everyday life to truly, authentically receive the word of God, the message about Jesus, is just repentance and belief. Think about that. To receive God's Word, you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be in a particular tax bracket. You don't have to do any of that. What you actually have to admit is that you're not perfect. That you have failed. That you don't have it all together. And you, get to, and you believe that it's only be Jesus who can satisfy you. Who can make you right with God. Who can save you from your sin. Authentic reception to God's Word, really receiving it, is simply repenting and believing. Believing what Jesus has said about himself. You know, um, when we listen to God's word, we have to receive it. So, for a moment here, let's just take a step back and apply this to our lives. Just to, what does it mean for you and me? So, let me ask you a question real quick. How have you received God's word? How have you received God's word? You know, maybe if you're honest, um, maybe you're just uninterested. You know, it really just hasn't hit you. You have so much going on. Things are actually going pretty good. Um, really haven't had enough time to think about Jesus. 
Or maybe if you're honest, um, you, you initially loved Jesus. You were at church. You were, it's all good. But now you, you realize that you feel kind of stuck because the emotional high has worn off and you just don't know what to do anymore. Or maybe if you're honest, you just don't want to love Jesus. Whatever the answer is to that question, the good news is that you can actually go to Jesus with that problem. My encouragement to you is that you can go to Jesus and say, and be real and be honest and say, I'm going to be completely honest with you, Jesus. I just don't see my need for you. Help me see that I need you. I'm going to be honest, Jesus. I, I really was initially excited about this, but it's worn off. I, I don't know what to do. Help me. Or you can be frankly honest and say, Jesus, I just don't want to love you. Give me a heart that wants to love you. That's what's so amazing about Christianity and Jesus in general is that you can actually go to Jesus and ask him for a heart to believe in him, to love him, to prioritize and to put him first. You can go to Jesus and ask him to give you the right type of spiritual soil that will receive the word of God and bear fruit. You know, Redeemer, let's, let's be a people who receive the good news of the perfect Savior who saves and satisfies religious, I mean, rebellious and messed up people. I, I encourage you to embrace that. But as we move on in our passage, now we see that we listen to God's word not just by receiving it, but by sharing it. And we read that in verses 16 through 18. So let me reread that for you real quick. So starting back at verse 16, it says this, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has for to the one who has more, more will be given. And from the one who has who has not, not even what he thinks he has will be taken away. So as we see Jesus continuing on in this in this teaching about listening to God, he, he brings up another parable about lighting a lamp. And, and he says that the lighting of the lamp represents his followers who have received God's word, who truly received God's word. Now, now, what I find interesting about this story is, is what it implies. So if, if the followers of Jesus are, are lamps who've received this light, um, who are, are these lit lamps, um, what that means is that the world is covered in darkness. See, the Bible teaches us is that um, in Genesis chapter 3, that because of our first parents, Adam and Eve, their, their rejection of God, their, their failure to meet God's standard, or what we would call sin, um, we were all separated from God. And the world was broken, and we were plunged into moral darkness as the human race. And even to this day, what happens now is that it's our natural tendency to reject God and not love each other. But as we read on, we see that Jesus is the light that broke into the darkness. And what happens is this good news, this, this gospel, we, we call it sometimes, this gospel or the Word of God, is not just meant to be received by us, but it's actually meant to be shared. If you think about it, God has chosen that the main way that the word, His Word, the, the message of Jesus would be spread out into a dark and messed up world is through His followers, it's through His people, the people who've received it, going out and sharing with everyone that although everything we look to to save us from, from our brokenness and the world's brokenness will fade away, that's what verse 18 is talking about, we'll be fading away, the good news is that 
Jesus can bring um, reconciliation and redemption and renewal through his life, death, and resurrection. That's what we gain. That's verse 17 there. That's what we gain in Jesus. You see, this word, this word of God that God has given us is never meant to be just kept to ourselves. It's actually meant to be shared and spread as light in a very, very dark and messed up world. Now, many of us in this room, probably, and even online, probably could agree that, yeah, it's a good idea to tell people about Jesus. Yeah, let's talk about Jesus and share. The problem is we, we just don't do it, right? And I think if we, if we feel that, if we just think about that tension a little bit, you know, we examine that tension, I, I think we see two general reasons why we don't tend to share about Jesus with, with people we know. Um, you know, maybe the first reason is you just don't want to get people upset. You know, you, you have friends, you have family, and you just, you just don't want to cause trouble with them. You don't want there to be tension in the group. You, I'm a peacemaker, so I, I really relate to this. You know, like, I just don't want there to be tension because um, you're worried that these people that you really do care about, they could be offended. They could be um, upset with you. So in a sense, you just, you just kind of just don't want to rock the boat. You know, just want to keep things chill, right? Or, or maybe, maybe you just are afraid you don't know what to say. Maybe as you think about it, and it kind of brings a lot of anxiety because you carry this weight that, hey, what happens if they ask a question that I don't know the answer to? Or what, what's even worse? What happens if I say something that makes Jesus look horrible and I just ruin everything? So instead, we, we chill out, we, we keep calm, so that way we don't risk failure, or we don't risk ruining everything with these people. And as we tell ourselves these stories, whatever you're at, or maybe you're in between, or maybe it's another option, wherever you're at, maybe we convince ourselves it's out of love that we don't want to share it because we don't want to upset people or we don't want to rock the boat. But truthfully, that's not the most loving thing. Because if it's true that apart from Christ, we're all in darkness and under condemnation of sin, then to not share about the good news of Jesus, the message of Jesus with others, that's not loving. That just proves that you hate that person. Because you're cool with them being in condemnation. You're cool with them being in darkness. You know, I like how the old school theologian J.C. Ryle talks about this. He says, The highest form of selfishness is that of a man or woman who is content to go to heaven alone. And, and this is why Jesus says that we have to pay close attention to the word. Because when we immerse ourselves into the Word, when we constantly study it, when we're hearing it preached to us every week, when, when we have that life just immersed into the Word, we gain supernatural encouragement for sharing God's Word with others. That's the encouragement we get. We, we, to share the Word, we get encouragement from the Word of God. And as you think about this message, the two main encouragements I feel are these. So, one, God is the one that saves people. You know, God's Word, the message about Jesus, teaches us that God is not only the God of creation or even us or anything. He's the God of salvation. So, so what that means is God's the one that brings the spiritually dead people back to life. God's the one that changes hearts. Basically, God's the one that makes people Christian. So that takes the weight off our shoulders so that we can engage with others and share the message of Jesus. Because it really is just more of a cosmic take-your-kid-to-work day. And God is taking us with him and seeing him do his thing, seeing him transform people through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. But even more, Jesus is enough. 
See, I know we worry about well, what am I going to say, but, but the message of God's Word is Jesus, and Jesus is enough. See, ultimately, we don't have to worry about having the best scientific argument or being a PhD in, in whatever field of philosophy or anything like that, because Jesus is the message, and Jesus is enough. I mean, I mean look at look what the Apostle Paul, the, the, he wrote a majority of the New Testament. Look at his strategy for sharing about Jesus with others. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, he says this, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. See, we are... We are just given all this encouragement. The weight's lifted because Jesus is the secret sauce. He's it. He's the main thing. He's the main, he's the ringer. He's, he's all of it. That's how we're encouraged. And I love once more, let me, let me just tell you how J.C. Ryle summarizes this idea. He says, Happy is that soul which, as soon as it receives light from heaven, begins to think of others as well as itself. We listen to the Word of God not only by receiving it, but by sharing it. Let me throw another question towards you guys real quick. Here's another question. Who has God placed in your life that you can share His Word with? Who has God placed in your life that you can share His Word with? You know, Maybe God took you to this particular job and you just have this particular set of friends there. Maybe it's particular family members. Maybe it's some people in your neighborhood, your neighbors. It's, it's the, um, you know, the parents, the kids at your, at your kid's school. Whoever. You know, whoever it might be, here's the good news, is that you are freed up and encouraged and empowered by God himself to share his word, the message of Jesus, with those people. Because it's not reliant on you. It's not dependent on you. It's all dependent on him. And he's promised us that he will accomplish what he says to accomplish. You know, um, one thing that our core team has, has really done to keep us, in this, you know, keep us accountable to this truth is we started something called R3. Um, and what it is is that all of us have committed to praying and loving and sharing um, about Jesus with three particular people in our life that don't know Jesus. And so we'll meet up for gospel community and we'll pray about these people, we'll talk about it, we'll, we'll give updates, we'll, we'll keep each other encouraged. It's all a way to remind us that what, all that we're learning and receiving from, from church and together, that's not meant just to be kept in. It's meant to be shared. So, Redeemer, I, I want to encourage you. True listening involves not just receiving, but sharing. Let's be a family that does share God's Word with others. Let's embrace that call to be light to the dark. Well, then let's just look at the last part of our passage. So we're finishing out the passage and we see that the, the last way we listen to God's Word is just by doing it. And we see it in verses 19 through 21. So let me reread verses 19 through 21 for you real quick. Starting at verse 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my, and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So in this last part of our passage, we see that Jesus leverages um, the visit from his family to end his teaching about listening. 
And what he does is he just gives another parable, another story. He says that those who are truly his family are those who hear and obey God's word. That, I think that's what's so interesting about the message of Jesus anyways, is that the message says that it's Jesus who comes to live the life we can never live, die the death we deserve, and resurrect so that we could be taken out of rebellion and out of slavery to sin and be brought into this new family, the family of God. And you see, the family of God, what this looks like in real life is just, it's just a redeemed group of sinners who come together from every corner of your place you can think of, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, um, different tax brackets, all these different types of people who come together to love and serve Jesus. I mean, that is something that's so unique. We don't really see that at all. I mean, I love that Luke throughout his gospel gives a lot of examples of this. I mean, in the first three verses of chapter 8, guess who Luke describes as the true followers of Jesus or disciples of Jesus? I mean, let's just do the language here. Just, who does Luke describe as Jesus' family? It was women. Women who back then were the disadvantaged and the, and the, and the disenfranchised of, the, of society. But even then, it's not just women, it's former prostitutes and former people who were demon-possessed. Not the high, popular, ranking people of society. And what makes them true followers of Jesus is that they received God's word, they, they repented and believed, and they were sharing it. They were being obedient to Jesus. See, God's family is so unique because it's defined not by any type of um, socioeconomic bracket or um, ethnicity or background or city or location. It's defined by redeemed sinners coming together to love and serve King Jesus. The world has no category for that. But, you know, just to be transparent with you guys, I know that talking about the subject of family might sting a lot for many of you here. You know, maybe from some of you here, you, you just didn't have the best experience with your biological um, mom or dad. Maybe for some of you here, you, the people who were supposed to be your family were actually the ones who rejected you and, and hurt you and, and abandoned you. Or maybe many of you here are just carrying way and you're mourning still the loss of a loved one, of a family member that you were just so close to and it just feels like you don't know how you could live without them. Yet. And maybe it happened years ago and it still feels like it, it's yesterday. I'm sorry. And, and, and my prayer though is that you would gain some encouragement from our text and, and, and just see the, the uniqueness of Christianity. See, for those who put their faith in Jesus, who've repented and trusted in Jesus, you're given a brand new family that spans time and space and borders and languages and all of that. You are loved and welcomed into this family, not because of what you have or what you've done or what you look like or what, what, wherever you come from. You're loved and welcomed into this family because Jesus first loved us. And he's not only the one that created this family, he's the standard for this family. See, this family that meets as the church, as Pastor Jeremy says, we gather as the church. This family is really just a bunch of redeemed sinners coming to imperfectly love and serve King Jesus together. You know, I, um, I know many of us have probably heard that saying, um, blood is thicker than water. Um, but that's not true. Blood is not thicker than water when water is baptism. That creates a bond is deep and spiritual and eternal. 
We listen to God's word we, by doing the word as a family. So, one last question for all you guys. What is God's word calling you to, to do? What is God's word calling you to do? You know, maybe if you're here, you're visiting, or you're watching online, and, you, and you're irreligious, not really Christian, you came, you just, people invited you, you didn't want to be mean, thank you for coming. But maybe God's word is calling you to repent and believe to confess the ways you've rejected Jesus, you haven't believed in Jesus, and then to believe that it's only because of him that you can be made right with God and brought into the family of God. That's you. My encouragement is, do it. Repent and believe. Know that Jesus' arms are open wide waiting for you. And you have a family here who want to love you and walk imperfectly beside you as you both stumble towards Jesus and serve Jesus together. I encourage you to do it. But maybe for some of us here who, who consider ourselves Christian, who put our faith in Jesus, what is God calling you to? What is His Word calling you to do? Maybe, maybe His Word is calling you to forgive. Forgive someone. Or to ask for forgiveness. Or to give up some type of sinful practice in your life. Or maybe to reor- reprioritize your time or your finances so that you can serve the kingdom of God and serve the family of God. Maybe he's calling you into ministry or to be in a, in a deeper capacity to serve the body of Christ. You know, whatever it is, once again, the answer is the same. I encourage you, do it. And, and not just do it, but bring your family, Christ's family, into it. Because we grow deeper as a family together when we serve God together. We hold each other accountable when we imperfectly stumble towards Jesus and serve Jesus together. You know, personally, uh, my wife and I have just been blessed seeing this reality just become real to us the last couple years. Um, we've seen it with our core team. Now, with our core team, it, it's a replant, and so I know some of these people, and I've known them for a while, but some of these people I just met like a year ago, two years ago. But as we've imperfectly worshipped Jesus together, as we've imperfectly loved each other, as we've imperfectly answered the call to start a brand new church on the east side of Amarillo, God has blessed us so much to see that these people who I don't even look like half of them or we have the same background or didn't know them, we've become family. They are my brothers and sisters. It's a blessing. And now they're stuck with me for all eternity, so I'm sorry. You know, I want to be worshiping Jesus with them for all eternity. Redeemer, let's be a family that does God's work together, who imperfectly love and serve Jesus together. So to end, I just want to leave you with some final encouragement. You know, our text has shown us that the true certainty and peace as a follower of Jesus comes from listening to God's Word. Listening to the good news that that it's His life, death, and resurrection was enough to not only make us right with God, but to, to bring us into a family. To listen to the good news that what will truly satisfy us is nothing here, it's only Jesus. And to listen to the good news that now Jesus is our family and he will never leave us or forsake us. Redeemer, let's be a family who listens to God's word together. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that every time we open up the Bible, you do speak to us. Father, 
you knew that, that our hearts are so prone to wander, that we are such the type to stand right beside your son to hear the word and still not listen. So, Lord, we, we thank you that you love us enough to remind us and show us how to listen. Um, and I pray that we, as we move forward and respond in worship, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that we would be encouraged and that our worship would be fueled by seeing how amazing your son is. Um, help us lay sin down that needs to be laid down, confess sin. Um, and Father, I do ask specifically that by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would be encouraged that those who are hurting right now, that are carrying burdens, that, that, that feel broken, that they would know that the good news of your Son is that he loves broken and messed up people, that he gives them a family of other broken and messed up people who are loved by the same Savior. Father, help us fall more in love with your Son as we continue to worship. In your name we pray. Amen.